Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are right in the middle of our Foundations series. If you have not had the opportunity to hear any of the future installments, please check out the Inspire Church YouTube page or podcast, and I would recommend that you go listen to those. Each topic has been phenomenal. But if this is your first time uh, listening to this uh, series, basically what it is is uh, there is an organization called Ligonier Ministries who uh, put out a survey, and uh, they do this every year, and they ask sort of theological and moral questions, and they uh, get thousands of people to respond, and they basically try to see where are we nationally uh, with Christian doctrine and so on and so forth, and they publish those results. Well, what we decided to do was take some of those questions that were posed to the nation and uh, create a foundation sermon on it because doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. And even if you're in here saying, ah, doctrine doesn't matter, that statement is a doctrinal statement. And so it matters. You can't escape doctrine. Um, And so uh, that's basically what this series is about. And I'm so glad that you're able to join us. Uh, If this is your first time here, my first time watching, you don't know who I am. My name is Roger. I'm the executive pastor here at Inspire Church. And uh, they're crazy. Um, So there was a... There was an old lady who would come out every morning on her front porch and she would just pray to God. She would worship and she would pray and she would do this morning after morning after morning. Well, she had a neighbor who was an atheist and the atheist got aggravated by this. He didn't want to wake up every morning hearing this old lady praying to this person in the sky that he didn't even believe in. And this particular week was especially annoying for him because she would come out every morning and she seemed to be just praying a little louder than normal. But this week she was saying, Dear God, please bring me some groceries. I had some unexpected expenses and I could just really use some groceries. Well, the atheist got fed up and so what he did was he went and he bought groceries and then that morning he put them on his on her porch and he hid in a bush. And so, like every morning, the lady came out and she began to praise God and she saw the groceries and she looked up to heaven and she said, God, thank you so much for these groceries. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the atheist jumped out of the bush and said, ha, I bought those groceries. And the lady looks up in heaven and said, and you made the devil pay for them. (laughs) I wanted to start with a little bit of a joke because of the soberness of today's topic. And I was afraid that if I didn't say that, we might not get any more laughs this morning. So I thought I would just sort of break the ice because today's topic is one of those where as you come up and before you get ready to preach, you're kind of looking at all the exit signs to see where you should go first. And so um, I want us to know that as we dive into these next topics, all of them from this Sunday to the next three, and then our theology and coffee night on the Wednesday night, the first Wednesday night of August, um, these are all going to be more uh, moral topics that are going to, like Pastor Phil said earlier, hit a little differently, a little personally, um, a little more controversial. Um, But this morning, we're talking about abortion. Abortion. You say, well, why are we tackling that? Well, 
Um, because according to the National State of Theology survey, 51% of American Christians agree that abortion is a sin, while 39% disagree and 10% say they don't know. Also, according to the Planned Parenthood website, one out of every four women in the United States will have an abortion before the age of 45. And according to the Guttmacher Institute, which is the leading research and policy organization committed to advancing sexual and reproductive health and rights, according to them, by the time my message is over, 98 abortions would have taken place. Wow. And so that means this is a big topic. It's a big topic. Now, the reasons for those abortions vary, and this topic is extremely personal and controversial. So what I want to do is I just want to take a moment and let's just breathe in and just breathe out. And pray for me. Pray for me. Because those statistics that I gave you, those numbers that I just gave you, the reality is those aren't just numbers or statistics. We're talking about people. We're talking about men and women. We're talking about people, their hearts, their souls, their emotions, their mentality, their lives. And for some, this issue is clear and straightforward. For some, choosing to have an abortion was a simple choice. For others, it was deeply complicated and difficult. But by the time I'm done, I'm hoping that there will be healing and a greater veneration for life. Jesus said, I come into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it, but to save it. Now, we've been doing ministry, Pastor Phil and I, for long enough to know this, that, uh, that the script that sort of is continually playing over and over and over again in all of our hearts is a self-condemning script. And if that is the voice that you hear in your head speaking back to you while you're listening to this message, just know that is not God's voice. That is not God's voice. There is nothing about you that God does not already know that he has not already handled on the cross. There's nothing about me that he does not already know that he has not handled on the cross. There is nothing that anybody can bring to God about you or about me that he does not know that he did not get nailed to the cross of Calvary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that your grace, your mercy will guide us. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we begin to talk about a topic that is personal and controversial, that can stir emotions, God. I pray, God, that we will speak in wisdom and in love and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to start uh, at the very beginning. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. But as I'm reading, I would love your help. 
Because as the scripture goes up, you will see uh, words that are highlighted boldly. I would love for you guys to read those words out loud. Can we do that? Let, we'll, we'll see how this goes. But kind of, you know, do a little. <clears throat> and uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this together and let's see how this goes. Okay, so Genesis chapter one says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, this is your part. Light, let there be light. And there was a light and God said that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. Verse six, and God said, a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so, verse 14, and God said, lights in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as a sign to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be a light in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so, verse 26, then God said, hmm, Catch that? Make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all wild animals and over all the creatures that are moving along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Did you catch that? Did you catch how there was a rhythm that going there that it was let there be, let there be, let there be. And then all of a sudden there was a break in the rhythm and God said, let us, let us. All of a sudden in this picture of creation and we are seeing how God is creating all things. But then when it comes to humanity, the phrasing stops. There is something unique and special on how he created human beings. Let us make mankind in our image. In other words, human beings alone, alone are different, are different compared to anything else that is living. This is called the Imago Dei, the Imago Dei. In other words, created in the very image of God. And what that means is that humans have intrinsic value and worth. That's what it means. And so what that means is from the womb to the tomb, human life is valuable. From the womb to the tomb, all human life, regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of background, all human life is valuable. Oh, y'all should have said amen right there. It all is. Now, I know churches who tend to focus on one or the other. They tend to come really strong with life in the womb and not so strong with life out of the womb. Then you have some churches that come in really strong with life out of the womb, but not so strong with life in the womb. But here at Inspire, what we want to do is we want to look at what it is that the Bible says, and the Bible brings a healthy balance, a healthy view, a value on life from womb to tomb. Now, I'm not going to get into too much about 
after the womb. Not because it's not important, but because in the next couple of Sundays, in fact, next Sunday, Pastor Phil is going to be talking about social justice. And so, uh, and so, but I, the reason I want to mention that now is because sometimes when we talk about abortion, when we talk about um, the, the value of life in the womb, some people say, okay, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but shouldn't Christians also be concerned with those that are outside of the womb? And you, 110% yes, yes. And we'll be talking about that next Sunday. 110% yes. But there is something that uh, is intrinsic about humanity's value. Being made in the image of God means that God has put into place moral laws that aren't for any other created thing. For, for instance, when you watch the National Geographic, right, and you see, you know, I don't know, a, a lion eating, you know, some other lion's cubs, right? No one picks up the phone and tries to report a murder. No one does that. No one does that. But if a, but if a man were to go to another man's kids and try to kill them, that's exactly what we would do. Because there's a difference. There's a difference, you see. G.K. Chesterton, when speaking of the hypocrisy of man, sort of said this sarcastically. He said this, as a politician, the secular person will cry out that all war is a waste of time. But then as a philosopher, he'll admit that all life is a waste of time. The secular person goes first to a political meeting where he complains that the natives are being treated as if they were beasts. Then he goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that all human beings actually are beasts. In other words, the culture on one hand wants to say that we are no different than any other living thing on this planet. And yet it cannot escape the reality that there is a difference. It cannot escape the moral rational and value reality of the difference of humanity. Now, in the light of being made in the image of God, it's important to know where does this image begin? Where does this image begin? Is somebody made in the image of God outside the womb? Is somebody made in the image of God by the third trimester? Where does this image begin? Well, according to the Bible, it begins in our mother's womb. Look at what Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16 says. It says this. For you created in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, I love this poetic genre that the Bible says that there is a moral and spiritual component that we possess that God has actively put in us while we were in our mother's womb. Now, we know 
that God is accomplishing his purpose through biological mechanisms that he set into place at the beginning of all things. Because we, we understand physically, right? We know biology. We know where babies come from. But what the Bible is arguing is that there is a spiritual reality behind the physical one. That there is a spiritual reality behind the physical one. Is God involved in biology? Yeah. Dominant genes, recessive genes, yes. But there is a spiritual reality behind all of God's plan and for his glory for our lives. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible is actually going to argue that it's not just the moral and spiritual component that happens in the womb, but it actually takes it a step further And what it says is that personhood, humanity, actually happens at conception. At conception. Psalms 51 says this. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. Now, he's not saying something bad about his mom. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is from conception, we are sinners. The moment that there is conception, that human being is a sinner. Now, you can't say that being is a sinner if that being is not human. Does that make sense? And so, in other words, we already have a soul that has been tainted from the fall of Adam. And yet we have value because look what he goes on to say, verse six. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. From conception, we are sinners. Now, if you are a parent in this place or if you watch kids, um, if you are an aunt or an uncle, if you are a cousin, if you um, are a nanny, if you watch kids in any capacity, you should be saying yes and amen to the fact that we know that kids are sinners. Kids are sinners. How many of you recognize that you did not have to go and take your child and bring them to a school to learn how to lie. Anybody had to do that? No, they just lie. Like what happened, right? Or the fact that you put two little babies together and, 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 and you give them a cookie, what are they gonna do? Fight over it, right? Uh, you know, uh, kids, they, they bite and they kick and they do all the, I mean, right? Isn't that just what happens? We don't have to teach them to sin, they just sin. Why? Why is that? Well, because from the moment of conception, that being, that entity was human. Was human. See, the moral and spiritual makeup of our unique humanness occurs at conception. This is the doctrine of the Imago Dei, that that we as humankind were born in the image of God And because of that, then we have dignity and value and worth. Again, as you're hearing this message, remember Christ said, I did not come here to condemn the world, but to save it. If you're hearing this message and you're hearing a voice of condemnation come in, 
Just remember that Jesus Christ did not come to condemn, but to save. But to save. With that said, we need to consider how then we too think about the day and the time that we are in as Christians and the culture in which we live in where millions of little boys and little girls every year are sucked limb from limb out of the wombs of their mother and what could only be rightfully called murder. Murder. Because we're taking a life that we do not have the prerogative to restore. I'm going to say that again. Because we're taking a life that we do not have the prerogative to restore. God does. We do not. You shall not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But what's fascinating about the Ten Commandments is you cannot break any of them without breaking the first one, which is that you shall have no other idols before me. See, any time that we've broken one of the Ten Commandments, one of the nine, then it is because we did exactly that. We placed an idol before God. Before God. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor Roger. Are, are you saying that um, all abortions were done out of convenience? No. No. And when I say convenience, what I mean is things like, well, I'm not ready to be a parent or I just don't want kids or I already have kids. I just need to focus on them or I can't financially support a child and so on and so forth. You say, well, well wait a minute. What about the abortions that have been done um, due to the mother's life being at risk or rape, etc.? Well, let me just say this. Throughout this lesson, there's a number on the screen. And if you have questions, we'd love for you to text those in and we'll answer them on Wednesday night through our social media. The reason is, is because I can't get to every single point um, on this topic in, you know, 30 minutes. I just can't. So there are some great questions out there like, well, what about overpopulation in the economy? Or what about the advances that have happened through stem re cell research? Those are great questions. Please text them in. Um, you know, or if you say, I don't want to text them in, can I just come, you know, come talk to you? Yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it. Let's go out to eat, right? And uh, I'll pray, you pay, and let's have the conversation, you know, because I just can't get to it all. But what I'll say is this, is that according to the CDC, less than 2% of abortions that are performed were due, to the, were due to these unique and complicated situations. In other words, even though, yes, there are these rare situations that would require discernment and grace, that does not mean that we are to conclude that overall abortion is okay. Let me just give you an example, and this is super oversimplified, but hopefully it brings an illustration, which is there are a number of fatal accidents that happen in the United States because of traffic light malfunctions. A traffic light malfunctioned, and because of that, there was a fatal accident. 
Now, it's very rare, but just because that happens does not mean we should just stop having traffic lights. Again, I know that was a very oversimplification illustration of this, but the point is, is that, yes, there are certain situations where God's grace and wisdom and discernment and mercy will need to be there to walk through those. But overall, that does not take away from the principle that the entity that is inside the womb is a human being with dignity and value and rights, and rights. Because abortion is a type of demonic blindness. We are not the first group of people. We are not the first civilization to kill its babies. This is a demonic thing that's been happening as far back as the Bible goes. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that people who have had abortions, um, the women that have gone through that process, the men that have encouraged it or paid for it, I'm not saying that they were possessed by demons. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the abortion is just like all other sin, a demonic blindness. And it goes far back. Right? Look at Moloch in the Old Testament or, or the Greco Roman society where they would look over their sons and if there's any blemish at all, they throw them off of a mountain. It, it, it's, an, it, it's a type of darkness that invaded spaces and we're just a more modernized version. Yeah. Wow. What do you mean by that? Well, what's the reason the Supreme Court said abortion was okay? What's the reason? Well, because the life in the womb doesn't have capacities. They they can't make choices. They can't reason. They don't know right from wrong. They can't live apart from the mother. They, They don't have capacities. Therefore, according to the Supreme Court, they don't have rights. Now, keeping that in mind, remember this, that born infants also don't have those capacities. Remember that. They can't reason. They can't make moral choices. Neither can some of our most vulnerable senior citizens or some of the mentally handicapped human beings within our society. Therefore, according to that line of reasoning, none of them should have rights. If you believe abortion is all right, then you cannot really protect the rights of any of the individuals that I just said. Because all of their rights are based on capacity. Now, if you don't believe in the image of God, then what are you going to ground your human rights in? When you ground it in capacities, if you can't protect the unborn, then you can't protect the newly born. If you go back to the very beginning of the Christian church, what you see is extraordinary. They came into the Greco-Roman world and, the, the, and this Greco-Roman world also sort of grounded its ideas and capacity. Aristotle said some races were too emotional so they could not reason. But, and, and they didn't have capacities for higher reasoning. But Christians came along and they believed in the imago dei, Right? And because they believed in the image of God, from the beginning, they were champions. They were champions of human rights. And they were against abortion. 
See, if you do believe in the image of God, then you have to be against abortion. If you don't, well, then the argument can kind of begin to take a turn and begin to say something like, well, my body, my rights. My body, my rights. It's the woman's body and you should not have your hands on a woman's body. And I can say this, I understand the heart of that argument. I do, I get it. Because in societies where they have historically experimented with sex, it was always the women and children who had to bear the brunt of that. I totally understand when we, when we see communities raising women up because in some cases they have been in, in, a, in a ridiculous, overbearing, sinful patriarchy. And I don't want to take away from that. But see, my body, my rights, when it comes to abortion, cannot stand on its own legs. Because inside of that womb is not just another part of your body. It's another body. It's another person. It's a complete different entity. There is not a Genesis today that will say and argue that from conception, that baby that is now in you is now a separate entity. In fact, Look at what Susan Bardo says. She's the chair of humanities professor for the Women's of Studies at Berkeley University. Uh, she is a scientist. She's not a Christian. And look what she says. She says, it is important to note that the fetus are not simply, are not simply, not simply, an extension or even an appendage of the pregnant subject but rather to emphasize the ontological conceptualization of the fetus as a separate and independent entity, which um, has arguably rendered the woman as a container of the fetus, which has been demonstrated by the advancements in modern science. Wow. My body, my rights, does not hold up biologically. It's interesting that we talk about human rights, but what about the right to be human? What about the right to see that this being inside the womb is from conception a human? We talk about human rights, but what about the right to be human? But if you're a Christian, there's actually another reason that my body and my rights, that statement crumbles. And it's because as Christians, the Bible says that our physical bodies are no longer our own, that we are now temples of the Holy Spirit, that we are not dead, burnt sacrifices, but that we are living sacrifices to God. Therefore, what we do is we say, God, our physical body is no longer my own. I can't just do whatever I want with it for my pleasure or my purpose, but now I belong to you. But now I belong to you. Rights. The right to be human. I remember there was a, an apologist having a conversation with a lady about abortion. And 
He asked her something. He said, um, you know, it's interesting in this culture if, if there was an airplane crash and if, you know, 100 people on the plane and, you know, 80 of them died and 20 of them lived and, you know, women, children, that, you know, they died in this crash, how our culture would look up to God and say, what kind of God is this? God does not have the right to do that. But when we want to choose who lives or dies, we call it our right. We call it our right. Well, maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and maybe you're not a Christian and so therefore you're not persuaded by the Bible. Well, there are four possible options for what that baby is inside of a mother's womb. You ready for these? Number one, it is a life and you don't know it. Number two, it is a life and you do know it. Number three, it is not a life and you don't know it. Or number four, it is not a life and you do know it. So it is a life and you don't know it. It is a life and you do, do, and, and you do know it. It is not a life and you don't know it. It is not a life and you do know it. Take these four options and the best you can come up with is criminal negligence. In other words, um, if you don't know where your two-year-old boy is on a farm, would you go around with the pitchfork jamming it in the haystacks to see if he's there? You know, the reality is, is that this very topic not only has to do with rights, not only has to do with value, but it has to do with the fact that there are women today who have chosen to have abortions, who are carrying the weight of that everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. There are men who have prompted, pushed, paid for, supported, endorsed, and they carry the weight of that every where they go. So, how are we to respond? How are we to respond? I think there's a few things. See, you need to understand the kindness and the goodness of Christ. You need to understand the kindness and the goodness of Christ. And when you look at his kindness and when you look at his goodness, whether it's this topic or another, you cannot help but repent. I can't. When I look at his goodness and his kindness, I can't help but repent. Repent for any of the sins that I have committed. Look at his kindness and look at his goodness and repent and enter into a space where there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. In John chapter eight, there he, Jesus was teaching. He was in the middle of teaching and, and all of a sudden there was a loud noise sort of in the back of the room and, and this mob, this angry mob comes in and, and, and brings this woman, throws down this woman in front of Jesus. Now you can imagine being carried and pushed and pulled by a mob. And, and, and here they are and, and they throw her before Jesus. 
And they say this, they say, uh, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now who knows where the man is? Maybe they didn't care. Maybe they beat him up. Maybe they already took care of him. But she brought the woman, they brought the woman before Jesus Christ and they said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and according to the law, she has to be sentenced to death. What do you say? What do you say? And what's interesting is this, is that Jesus got down on the ground and he says that he wrote something in the sand. Now, we don't know what it was, but um, I'll say this, that as I go to conclude this message and as the worship team begins to uh, get ready for a response, uh, you know, uh, there's been a lot of theories on what he wrote. Some people have, have come up with different ideas, but it doesn't really matter because it's not so much what he wrote, but what happened that totally exploded all categories. What he did was he looked at the crowd and he said, whoever is here that is without sin, go, go ahead and throw the first stone. In other words, it was penalty of death, but how you died was they would take you and they would wrap your body up and they would stone you to death. And, and so he said, listen, he said, uh, if any of you here are without, without sin, then throw down your stones. And so the Bible was very specific about it. It said, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to throw their stones down. From the oldest to the youngest. That's interesting because the reality is, is usually the older you are, the more you've experienced life, the longer you live, the more you recognize your imperfections. The more you realize that you actually aren't as good or as holy or as righteous as you try to make out to be. You're usually not sinless. That's what you come to realize. When you're younger, you don't really realize that so much. You just, you know. But as you get older, and so the Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones. And then Jesus took the woman, had her stand up from the ground and says, who and where are your accusers? Who condemns you? No one. And Jesus says, and neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. See, the reality is, is that many times when we begin to talk about abortion, in fact, there are some people who have even had a hard time making it today because of the guilt and the shame that is heavy upon them. There are some that haven't even told anybody about it. And you've been carrying this weight around your shoulders, tethered to your heart. There is a place, there is a person that you can come to and repent and be free. There is a space 
where there is no condemnation. There is a place where you can be healed. And that's what I really feel the Lord is wanting to do this morning is he wants to heal hearts and mend you and speak life into you. Men who supported, who paid for, who prompted, who pushed, who demanded, repent and find the place at Jesus Christ where there's no condemnation. The church needs to repent for politicizing the issue, for making the evil of abortion more than the evil of things like racism and helping the disenfranchised and broken. Because the more that you make this about a political ideology or a political party, rather than rooting it in the word of God for the glory of Jesus, then we sacrifice our integrity at the altar of politics. For some, we need to repent because we kept the stones in our hands thinking that somehow, some way, that person's sin is worse than my own. That somehow that person needed the blood of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus more than I did. And we need to repent. A group of people were, were around Jesus and somebody decided to ask Jesus about the question of paying taxes. Should we pay taxes? I wish he would have answered differently, but this is what he said. He said, give me a coin. Someone handed him a coin and he said, whose image do you see on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. He said, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. So then the natural question is, well, what is God's? Well, whatever has his image on it. That's you. That's you. You were created in the very image of God. And so what that means is that you have value and you have worth and the mercy and the grace and the healing of God is here for you. No matter your sin, no matter the darkness and the depth, it is not so messy that God's grace cannot touch it. Some of you have been carrying deep hurt you haven't told anybody, but it's there. And I want you to know that God is still in the transformation business. He is here and he is saying, where are your accusers? They do not condemn you. Neither do I. Neither do I. What you need to know, church, is this is that he still heals hearts. He still mends minds. He still restores the broken. He still takes beauty from ashes. He still turns sorrow into joy. And he still takes graves and turns them into gardens. Let's repent. Let's find freedom. Let's find his grace and his mercy and his love because it's here. It's right here. And he loves us, amen?
Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.